in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I really cannot tell you what it means to me to be back at the Anvil. I've been privileged to know every rect or dean of this church since John Turner. I've been the recipient of a lot of grace and inspiration, not only from these clergy, but from the lay people here. And I am deeply grateful and it's a joy to be amongst you. The subject of this sermon is hope, the anchor of our souls. And we get it from that great passage in the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 9. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place where the curtain, behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone. This text has given the church the wonderful symbol of hope, the anchor. The text calls for the steadfast anchor of the soul. We're all familiar with St. Paul's remark about faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And Christopher Wordsworth in one of his hymns shows us why this is true. Faith will vanish into sight. Hope will be emptied in delight. Love is in heaven will shine more bright. Therefore give us love. But in this side of heaven, God knows we cannot live without hope. The motto of the state of South Carolina is doom spiro sparrow, meaning while I breathe, I hope. A physician of my vestry in New York observed that the text goes backwards also when we cease to hope, we cease to breathe. However, there are many hopes, and some are unworthy hopes. The hope that the text calls us, the anchor of the soul, is a special hope. As Scripture tells us, that it enters into that inner place beyond the curtain where Jesus is gone. This anchor is given explicitly for the journey of our lives. As I said yesterday, quoting Oz Guinness, the question before us all is, are we as a culture to sever or to recover the Christian faith? I claim that our hope is in the proclamation uh, and reception of God's action in what Scripture calls His righteousness. That righteousness is not some passive quality by which we are condemned, 
but, by his, but it is his myriad loving activities of forgiveness and healing, his teaching, and especially his suffering and death and resurrection. These activities express the illustration and are illustrations and expressions of his righteousness, his making right by the life and death and resurrection. Uh, it will be those who knew, know they need and perceive and receive and spread this righteousness that we will recover the Christian roots of our salvation. In the meantime, we live by hope. Whether our society will recover and not sever its Christian foundations is not only our hope, our hope there will soon be peace in Syria that we will not have a nuclear inflagration in or from North Korea. I hope my friend can tolerate the chemo and radiation and recover from his cancer. Surely there's no end to my hopes and no end to your hopes. Each of us has a long list. But we are invested with a very special hope that is always there, even when all other hopes fail. This hope, Scripture calls the anchor of our souls. It is a wonderful metaphor. I can recall many, many years ago fishing with three of my children. It was more nursing than fishing. Uh, we were anchored in a very swift falling tide one child uh, dropped overboard an oar. Another child tried to spear it with the other oar. And I watched as both oars floated out to sea. We were 100 yards from the dock with no oars and the tide ebbing. But we did have an anchor and a long rope. And I found that we could pull the boat up to the place where the anchor was holding fast and pull it up and throw it out as far as I could toward the dock. And when it caught, I would pull up to it and throw it again. After a dozen throws, we were safely on the dock. When all other hopes fail, the anchor of our souls is able to bring us home and to that inner place beyond the curtain where Jesus has gone. We in this life cannot see beyond the curtain of our death. So also an anchor enters into a world we cannot see, where it does its work beyond our sight. This anchor of our souls holds fast beyond either our sight or our knowledge, and without it, we are unfulfilled, our unfulfilled hopes will be devastating and destructive. I have a dear friend who tells me he does not share my hope. He does not share the hope and the anchor of his souls. He, de he does share my hopes about North Korea and Syria and the Senate and the Supreme Court and the stock market and his wife's biopsy. But he has no hope for the anchor of his soul. I'm sympathetic. None of us has seen beyond that curtain. But like the drift of our culture, 
He does not share this hope that holds us steady when all other hopes fail. Unlike faith, it would seem a much easier step to take to hope. I can see the frustration about faith in trying to believe something one does not believe. That's a big step. But it would seem easier simply to decide to hope, no matter how weak that hope. Why not hope there is a God? And in his love, he sent Jesus Christ to save us. Is there something wrong with that? He doesn't, he does not know that it's untrue. No one knows that it is untrue. What would be wrong or difficult about taking this step and hoping that the world and heaven where there's justice and mercy what would be wrong with hoping it would be the difficulty in helping and beyond that curtain there is a gracious God that we can even able to call Father. It's a strange thing that this step seems so easy but yet is so hard. What would it cost us to hope. What is there to lose by affirming that very special hope? There is a cost, and natural human beings are very unwilling to pay the cost of that hope. If Christianity were true, I am not in charge. I am not in control. What we would lose is our hope for control and independence and ourself as center. William Ernest Henley's poem, Invictus, expresses something of the cost of Christian hope. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. And it ends, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. If Christianity is true, I am not the master of my fate, nor am I the captain of my soul. The only way that I am the master of my fate is to take my own life. Henley himself committed suicide. The choice to hope requires a very simple thing, humility. The humility to admit that I am not in charge and God is. And once done, isn't it a great relief that we are not in charge, given the hopes we have. Without the anchor of a sure of our souls, without that special hope, all we are left with is North Korea, Syria, and age, and old age, and the impending grave. The, wit the endless wisdom 
of the word anchor loses something of its power in a world of motors. Everyone knew the necessity of anchors when approaching a lee shore in a storm in the old sailing days. I like to fish in jo at the Georgetown jetties. I like to fish close to the rocks where the fish tend to live. However, a sudden squall or change of the tide can drag my anchor onto the rocks and my boat crush. A friend taught me to attach a long chain, not a rope, to the anchor, put a weight on this end of the chain, and then put it out. When a sudden squall comes or the tide switches, the weight of the chain and that weight are lifted up, and there's only a gradual pull on the anchor instead of a jerk. This keeps any jerk from dragging the anchor and landing me on the unforgiving rocks. So too is like the anchor of our souls, the metaphor Christian hope. Among all the dashed peripheral hopes that range from football defeats to bad news from the pathology or Syria or North Korea. As the illustration of Charles Wesley helped us to understand the meaning of the splendor and the glory of the ministry of righteousness, so his brother John can help us with a hope that is the steadfast anchor of our soul. John Wesley was a remarkable, diligent, and conscientious young man. He was educated, as Charles was, at the most prestigious of the Oxford colleges. He went to Georgia to be the rector of Christ Church in Savannah. He had much the same commitment as his brother Charles. He was against sin, but he gave no indication how our Lord can help us overcome it. He fell ill and was nursed by a young lady, Sophia Hopke. After he recovered, he discovered that in the meantime, she had married William Williamson. During a service of the Holy Communion, he skipped her at the rail, in effect meaning that she was a notorious and, and evil liver. Williamson took umbrage at this and filed a libel suit against Wesley. John had to skip bail, row across the Savannah River, and flee to Charleston, and from there he sailed back to England, a sad and humbled man. He recalled a time on the voyage to Georgia that they were caught in a terrific storm in which they almost perished. Everybody was terrified, including the captain and the crew, as well as John and Charles, everybody except a group of Moravians 
who were constantly singing and serenely singing hymns and praying, Lord, if you want to take us to heaven, do it now. Uh, praise your holy name. But, if you, but we would implore you to keep us safe so we can witness to your people. They seemed to John to possess a hope that gave them a serenity and confidence in the Lord that he did not have. He crept into the back of a Moravian church in London and listened to a Moravian, Peter Baylor, expand on Luther's preface to the Romans. And here he found his heart strangely warmed. In the Moravian church, he was given a hope he did not previously have. He had hoped that Sophia would marry him, not Williamson. But that hope seemed to have no connection with the hope that is the steadfast anchor of his soul. Like Charles, John's subsequent productivity was so great that the overused work, incredible, is totally inadequate. After John's heartwarming, strangely warming experience and the anchor of hope steadfast in his heart and on the other side of that veil, John made 42 step trips to Ireland, 22 to Scotland. He traveled some 250,000 miles, often riding on, in his journal on horseback. Now that's equivalent to 41 round trips from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco. I said incredible was an inadequate word. He was fluent in five languages. He preached more than 40,000 sermons. A surprise gift was his genius for organization. He oversaw societies, orphanages, dis distributions to the poor, and endeavors to end slavery. Perhaps the greatest tribute was given by his clerical colleague and sometimes rival, George Whitfield. Whitfield said, my brother Wesley acted correctly. The souls he awakened, he organized into classes. This I neglected. And whereas his people is a people, my people is a rope of sand. Christian preachers of the gospel gospel have often claimed, been accused when preaching justification by faith alone and by the righteousness of Christ that people will become lawless and they would not do good works. Charles, John Wesley is shown, has shown this to be falsehood by no one better than his ministry and the ministry of John Wesley. This Encyclopedia Britannica claims that never had there been written a greater tribute to the endeavors of a single man. A close friend of mine, 
died this past week. One of the saddest costs of a long and blessed marriage is to lose a spouse. Yes, when she opened the door to Martha and me, Sheila was clearly devastated. You could see it in her face. At the end of our visit, we had a favorite prayer. O oh, most loving Father, who willest us to give thanks for all things, to dread nothing but the loss of Thee, to cast all our cares on Thee who carest for us, preserve us from faithless fears and worldly anxieties, and grant that no clouds of this mortal life may hide from us the light of that love which is immortal and which Thou hast manifested unto us in Thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with Thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. I thought of the phrase, cast all our care on Thee who carest for us, in terms of hope, the anchor of our souls. Is this not what we are to do with our hope anchor? Tie our hearts to this hope, not with a rope, but with a chain. In a sense, Christ is the chain given to our hope. It preserves us and keeps an anchor from dragging. It is the chain that has evoked our hope and placed our anchor of hope in our hearts and has taught us to cast all our cares on thee who cares for us. Each care, both small and especially the heavy ones, add weight to the chain's connection to our anchor and keeps the anchor from dragging. dragging. I am truly sorry for my friend who cannot bring himself to hope and all the others who do not share the anchor of hope in their souls and are unwilling to cast their cares, hopes, on one who cares the most for us. I think that Ashley Null, that you have been so wonderful for and to, is the only one I know besides this 18th century professor at Oxford, William Bright, who was both an academic and a deep pastor. Bright was the author of the prayer that I just read. He also wrote hymns and is the author of the great hymn 337 in our hymn book. It would be good for us to remember when we feel unworthy of any hope and approach Good Friday with humility and hope. 
Look, Father, look on his anointed face and only look on us as found in him. Look not on our misusings of thy grace, our prayer so languid, and our faith so dim. For lo, between our sins and their reward, we set the passion of thy Son, our Lord. Amen. <laughs>